0: beginning worship. It is a joy to see all of you here. Um, I know we have others arriving, but as they do, let's go ahead and discuss some ministry opportunities for the week. Um, In your bulletins, you have a few important dates to remember. Tonight at six, we will have a caring for others in difficult times discussion that will take place in the youth space. Uh, Kim Harper will also join us. She leads Grief Share Ministry, as most of you know, and we're going to talk about how to love and care for others in difficult times. One of the ways that we do that was demonstrated by a team of people from Glenlock. About 13 went down yesterday to Albany and uh, did yard cleanup. And we are grateful for those 13 that went and worked with another larger group of people from Samaritan's Purse uh, to do cleanup work. In just a few minutes, uh, one of our deacons, Joe Bledsoe, is going to share a little bit more about that trip but we have an opportunity. I know we've donated provisions that have gone down on a truck earlier uh, last week. But but listen to this. Uh, there's a family that Gina Bledsoe is connected to in Bay County in the Florida Panhandle. And we're going to take up $20 Walmart gift cards to help this family during their time of need. So... Over the next two weeks, if you could possibly open your heart and give $20 Walmart gift card or cards, please give those to Gina. I don't want to assume everybody knows who she is. She's on the back this morning. Gina, raise your hand. What? Yeah, it's not just one family. Be ministering to several families. So thank you, Gina, uh, for making that opportunity available. Okay, this Wednesday will be our Harvest Festival That is the 31st from 6 to 8 here at Glenlock. Uh, There's a larger note about that. I guess it was rolling on the screen. If you can help with setup at all, Erica, will you raise your hand? Please see Erica to help set up on Wednesday afternoon uh, with that ministry. And we're still in need of donations for that. There'll be games, trunk or treat and other things taking place. Oh, cakewalk. I'm assuming we need cakes for cakewalk. So... You can bake a cake for the cakewalk. Please see Erica. Um, And Reverb. Our students are going to an event called Reverb. We've been announcing this for several weeks. Uh, It's an event put on by Word of Life. It takes place November the 16th and it is $45 a student. Includes food and a full night of fun and fellowship. Sign up by November the 7th. Uh, Bryson needs your commitment and your money. (laughs) because we got to pay for this event. So, and by the way, it is Brooke's birthday. Where did Brooke go? She's back here. <laughs> I think she's going to lead us in worship. Let's give it up for Brooke. She make Bryson's wife and trusty assistant and great helper in our not only our student ministry but in a lot of other areas as well. We love you and are grateful for you, Miss Brooke. Okay, um I think that was everything for now. I'm sure I'll probably think of something later. Let's stand as we begin worship. And Catherine is going to lead us in a call to worship, which is a reading that is number 579 in your hymnals. If you'd like to read along, I'm sure it'll be on the screen. as well.
1: When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. In God I put my trust, I will not fear And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. In God I have put my trust, I will not fear. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. In God I have put my trust, I will not fear. I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's from Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3 psalms 56 and proverbs 3 5 we're gonna all sing together through it all
2: thank you for this day and thank you for this time of worship. Thank you, Lord, for my family and my church family and, and, and all the things that, that, I, that I don't that know that you've done for me. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd be here with us. I pray that our hearts and souls and minds would, would be here this morning. We'd be listening to the preacher. And we love you, Lord, and I praise your name. The things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. <coughs> As I said, we had a a special testimony coming about the work done with Samaritan's Purse, great organization in South Georgia. Joe, will you come and share with us, please?
3: Good morning. morning. Uh, We had uh, approximately—I think it was 13 people. If some of you are here this morning that went yesterday, if you'd stand, so people can see who went. Come on, several of you. Several of them uh, were going to be away this morning. You can be seated, thank you. Uh, but uh, we went down yesterday to Albany, Georgia, signed up through Ameri- uh, Samaritan's Purse, uh, which is a pretty large organization. Uh, it seems to be getting larger, and, and they do disaster relief. And there's various things that, that you can do. You may not think you can, but you can sign up, and, and uh, uh, just going around sometimes talking to the people that you're uh, working at their houses is very important to some of them uh but we did we went to two different places yesterday we probably one of the places if you took a a 18-wheeler you could probably put three of those of the material that we picked up yesterday in three 18-wheeler trucks or more and uh, we didn't get complete at that house another house we uh, probably tractor-trailer load there, so uh, we went to various places. I did learn uh, yesterday that uh, they've extended the time that Samaritan's Purse is going to be in Albany. It was going to end on November the 3rd, but they've extended to December the 15th. And I didn't realize why, but because uh, were some of the people were talking about it. Until you find out, they have upward of 1,400 people they're going to assist down there. In that area, and you think about 1,400 people that needs assistance with the garden, uh, things is, uh trees down in their yards and things, roofs tore off, and things like that. Uh, and so there's things that everybody can sign up and uh, and and do. If you can't run a chainsaw, my wife had a was dragging a tarp yesterday with stuff piled on it. Uh, Michelle Alexander, I said, I don't, I didn't think you realized you'd be a pack mule today, did you? Uh, you know, there's things like that going on and, and you can work at your own pace and uh, if you get tired, sit down. Uh, but there was uh, a group of 13 of us. We, we matched up with people uh, from, there was a group from Valdosta of about 10 uh, young adults. Um, there was a, a mother-daughter from Miami, Florida that came up, and there were some people that had been there seven days straight working. Some of them went home late yesterday evening, some were going home today, but they had worked seven days uh, and they were staying at a, at a church down there. So there's things you can sign up and do. Our group left here at, uh, before five o'clock yesterday morning because we had needed to be down there before 7.30 so we could have our uh, meeting. And we worked from, I guess we got on the job site just before nine o'clock, probably about 8.45, and we finished up at the second job site, it was 4.30 when we left. So we stayed busy all day and just, you know, you can take breaks when you want, then we all took a lunch together. But while you're there, they, you get a shirt and it's similar to this, and yes, mine's been washed and cleaned, uh, but you get to write your name on it, and so if you're getting in trouble down there, they'll know who it is getting in trouble. Uh, I did get in a little trouble yesterday, but uh, anyway, uh, you get this and you get to bring it home, and I, I'm assuming when you, if you go back a second time, you take this shirt with you, and that way it also shows uh, who you're working for and it shows that uh, they're a Christian organization and sharing the gospel to other people. So, and um, so you get to wear this, and and it shows who's out there working. And uh, we just, uh, all of us that went yesterday enjoyed going, and was amazed at the uh, groups, the um, the organization that Samaritans Purse has. Uh, I did speak to some uh, lady yesterday. She said this was her. I think John may correct me. I think her 17th trip to help in situations like this. And she started out with Katrina and she's been going to some and been on 17 different trips. She'd been there seven days yesterday and she said uh, the best organized group she's ever been with was Samaritan's Purse that they were organized. So if you want to go with a group and help and do things and that they're a group to do that. And so when also when you're packing your shoe boxes, they're the same groups that distributes the shoe boxes. So they do a lot of good things. Thank you.
1: and I are going to sing a song for y'all. It's one you've probably heard on the radio. Um, It's called You Say, and it's by Lauren Daigle. Um, And it's just so good. As soon as it came out, I I set it as my ringtone currently. Not my ringtone, my alarm. So I wake up to it every morning. Um, But look, my mom's always told me I never had a problem with confidence. Like That's just really never been a struggle for me. But at the same time, I do, you know, sometimes I get so, and I'm just being really honest with y'all, sometimes, like yesterday, I was so mad at so many different people. And in that moment, it was like just swirling around me, you know, and I thought, goodness gracious, like I've got to calm down because I'm just so angry right now. And I played this song again, and it reminded me, I was just like, golly, that's it, you know. And I think this song just speaks to so many different different ways in our life that we struggle Um But it's called You Say, and it's called You Say because it talks about all the things that God says that we are and how those things overcome what we in our, you know, worldly state say that we are. Um, So anyways, we just hope this ministers to you this morning.
0: There, which is a good thing. So let's re- regather our senses here. Children leave for worship. I mean, children's church. Adults stay in for worship. I'm not sure if we had Lauren Daigle in here this morning, she would have done any better than that. That was uh, true and beautiful and um, and very worshipful. Let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter four. And let's see, again, more of what God says about who we are. I like that. We've got to allow God and His Word to define who we are and not our feelings, not our emotions, not our circumstances and trust who He says that we are rather than at times who we say that we are or who we feel that we are. 2 Corinthians 4, if you were here last Sunday, I spent the whole sermon really talking about our responsibility in that we have a ministry. And I plowed that ground so heavily that we didn't move to the other two points. There's there's more than just the responsibility that we have. We also have a dependency on the mercy of God and then we have the miracle of faith. So what I'm going to do today is preached the rest of the message that I had initially prepared last Sunday. And so now you're getting two points, which are leftovers from last week's message. And I don't don't really like to do that, but that's what God has led us to do this morning because there's so much more here. 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read the whole chapter, but our focus again is on verses 1 through 6. And what I want to put before us today are... Two encouraging miracles. Okay, two encouraging miracles. God has done something for us on our behalf that transcends everything else and that then encourages and strengthens us in our ministry and in the responsibilities that He's placed on us as salt and light. So, Let's pick up with what God says to us in 2 Corinthians 4.1. Paul says to the Corinthians, therefore, since we have this ministry, an emphasis on the word we, every believer, every Christian, we have a ministry. As we received mercy, we do not, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. Knowing that he who raised Jesus, excuse me, raised the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. He said that earlier, didn't he? Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction. is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, thank you for this word. Yet again, it is very encouraging just to read through it and to be prepared in our hearts and minds to preach it and hear it again. May it encourage us in our ministries, in our faithfulness, as we realize, Father, how wonderful you have been to us, how gracious you are to us, and and the miracles, the miracles of grace that you bestowed upon your people, how encouraging it is to know you and to to trust you and to see who you are in the face of Christ, for you are glorious and you're, you're gracious and you're truthful and you're merciful. We see all of that. In the face of Jesus our Lord. and It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, yet again in 2 Corinthians 4, as I said last week, I pointed out this is one of my favorite passages. And I could plow in this field all day long, okay? I love this passage. I love reading this passage. I love teaching and preaching this passage because partly it's been a great encouragement to my own heart. So let's go back to the realities of life in which Paul dealt with, and which we live daily. There is, apparently, a a temptation and a tendency for us to lose heart. To battle constantly despondency and despair. Literally, to lose heart means, the word that Paul uses in that phrase that he repeats twice in this passage, to lose heart means to just give in. And in particular, to give in to evil. Because if you give in, if you lose heart, you are. You're basically giving yourself over to evil and to the enemy. It's to lose courage. It's to become faint-hearted. It's to quit warring, to quit fighting. It's to just be so worn out. It's like Vince Lombardi said, Fatigue will make cowards of us all. And we know what that's like. Physical fatigue, spiritual fatigue, emotional fatigue. Just to the, get, reach the point where you want, what's the point anymore of life? <laughs> you ever get that way? Someone sent me a meme this week from the old, uh, from an episode of Seinfeld. you fans of Seinfeld? George says to Jerry, my whole life has been a complete waste of time. Jerry responds, yeah, and there's still so much more of it to go, right? (laughs) You know, more waste. (laughs) Sometimes what I'm reading intersects with what I'm preaching. And I know this is a very small pamphlet-like book. One of my favorite authors, Jerry Bridges, was very convicting and encouraging in some of the things that I read in this small book, Sins That We Accept. He talks about what our underlying problem is. Um, and I just want to read to you for just a moment what I read to myself earlier. He talks about ungodliness. How often we think the real, you know, the real problem is my pride. And, and, and that is a major issue with all of us and the root of all sin. But listen to what he says about ungodliness. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life. With little or no thought of God, or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. So you can readily see that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant in his or her life. We rub shoulders every day with such people, every day in the course of our ordinary activities. They may be friendly, courteous, and helpful to other people, but God is not at all in their thoughts. They may even attend church for an hour or so each week, but then live the remainder of the week as if God doesn't exist. The sad fact is that many of us who are believers tend to live our daily lives with little or no thought of God. We may even read our Bibles and pray for a few minutes At the beginning of each day, but then we go out into the day's activities and basically live as though God doesn't exist. We seldom think of our dependence on God or our responsibility to God. We might go for hours with no thought of God at all. In that sense, we are hardly different from our nice, decent, but unbelieving neighbor. God is not at all in His thoughts. And seldom is he in our thoughts. So what's convicting to me, besides what I read here, about how God and his presence in your thought life and your, your awareness of how dependent you are on him and how accountable you are on him, is that Paul confronts us with those two things right at the beginning of this chapter. Think about your responsibility. And that You have a ministry. And think about your dependency. You've received mercy. That's who we are. And that's what we're called to be and do. So in light of all the brokenness that is around us, and Henri Noen said our whole life is full of brokenness. I mean after all, we're jars of clay. Broken relationships, broken promises, broken expectations. How can we live with all that brokenness without becoming bitter and resentful except by returning again and again to God's faithful presence in our lives? As Catherine said, I'm so mad at so many people. (laughs) What transparency, what honesty. And don't sit there and act like you haven't had the same emotion within the last few days yourself. And so Paul is calling us to renounce the things that are hidden. Neil, tell us what those two miracles are. Well, I'll tell you what the text says. The first miracle is the miraculous gift of mercy. Look at what he says. Not only have you received a ministry, that's your responsibility, but listen to how dependent you are. You've also received God's mercy. And if there's anything that I think we ought to constantly think about that we fail to think about in our relationship with God is how merciful He has been to us. We have received mercy. Mercy is a gift that God Himself, the Creator of the universe, has bestowed upon us. He has mercyed you and me. This particular word means the compassionate removal of misery. The compassionate removal of misery. So you send a team to South Georgia, and what are they engaged in? Mercy, a compassionate help in the removal of misery in a very real and practical way. But what we do on a smaller scale, God has done for us on an infinite scale. He has compassionately removed the most miserable thing that was upon us, and the Bible talks about this over and over and over. Psalm 90, that we have been under his wrath our whole life because of sin and lawlessness, and that the wages of sin is death, and that the soul that sins will die. Ephesians chapter 2 tells me that I'm dead already in my sins and transgressions and deserving of wrath from God, but we have received mercy. And think about Paul himself was a great recipient of the mercy of God on the road to Damascus where he was a guilty sinner and murderer and God mercied him with the, the presence of the risen Christ. So mercy is the withholding. Mercy is the withholding of what we have merited and earned. So you find throughout Scripture people pleading to God for mercy. Mercy. And one parent coming up to Christ, Lord, have mercy on my son. The publican's prayer, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. I think about the thief on the cross, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. All of these are pleas for mercy. It's not saying, God, you owe me, but God, I know that I'm deserving of something much worse than this. God, please withhold that and extend to me your grace. So to be a Christian means to be a recipient of the gift of mercy. Not only mercy that saves us, in that at Calvary there was mercy great and grace was free and there was what pardon multiplied to me and there my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. That's where saving mercy was bestowed as a gift upon you and me. But not only do we need mercy to save us, but we need mercy to sustain us. Not only am I saved by mercy, but every day is mercy. What does the the, the lamentation say? Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And that's why we don't lose heart. Because not only has God saved me by mercy, but but he's keeping me by mercy and he's sustaining me by by mercy. He's continually withholding mercy. What I really deserve through the priesthood and the mercy of my great high priest, Christ. And then this mercy that is saving and sustaining is also transforming. It's transforming. For another song we could have sung this morning that would have fit, Your love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on me. We have received mercy and grace upon grace, not only the saving work of Christ, but the continual work of Christ in our lives. So when you say, why should we not lose heart? We should not lose heart because His mercy is not going to allow us to lose heart. Faithful is He who called you. He's going to keep you to the end because His loving kindness is everlasting. And great is thy faithfulness. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. We never lose heart because his strong love will not allow us to lose heart. His mercy transforms me and you in two wonderful ways. Number one, I'm talking here about the miraculous gift of mercy because it is a miracle. You'll notice two things if you grasp mercy. Number one, It will mortify your arrogance. If we begin to have an inflated view of our own importance, and we begin to feel superior to others, in how we compare and compete, and we want others to be jealous or envious of us, remember mercy. Remember mercy. You are just as in need of the mercy and the grace of God and all of its goodness and depths as the most depraved sinner you've ever thought that you knew. I went to my 30 year high school class reunion Friday night and I wondered who are all these old people? <laughs> But one of my friends was, yeah, did you think, Neil, you know, kind of sarcastically, jokingly, did you just, you know, picking a little bit, did you think that God would call you and -and so-and-so into the ministry? Did you ever imagine that from our senior class, you and this other guy would have been called into the ministry? I remember thinking, well, I, I was kind of a church kid. I was around ministry growing up. My grandfather was a pastor, and the brief thought was that, you know, I wasn't so surprised after all that God called me, but then this other guy, he was a brawler. <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, he was a brawler, and he wasn't a church kid. I mean, he fought everybody he could find in, in in junior high and high school, and just, you know, kind of a bully type kid, And and God has called him into ministry, and he just has a a different demeanor, a different spirit, and man, the Holy Spirit checked me real quick and said right there, and it took just as much mercy to call you as it did Him. And I said, you know what, God, you're exactly right. And I'm shocked to this day, knowing what I know about me and myself, that God had the mercy to call me in the ministry, and God had the mercy to save me. That's true of all of us. Listen, Let Him mortify your arrogance by reminding you of how merciful He was that He did not give you and He did not give me what we really deserved and merited. The other thing that will save you from is not not only arrogance, but self-pity. Sometimes we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Man, I wish I had, you know... I'm not getting what I deserve here, my fair share, my fair shake, and we get poor little old me disease. Mercy will not only save you from your arrogance, but also save you from your self-pity. Because the same reason. No, you, 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 don't, you don't want what you deserve. So when you tell yourself that you're inferior, and that you're, you deserve better than this, and you get you know, poor little old me disease, go back to the miraculous gift of mercy. It humbles us and it lifts us up. It does exactly what God intends for it to do. I've got to move on to the next miracle. So the miracle of mercy that God has granted to us strengthens our heart. It strengthens our daily walk and our daily service. But, but the, the, great, the great miracle of faith... In fact, R.C. Sproul said this, The greatest act of mercy that God performs is giving you the gift of faith. How merciful He is that He gives us the, the light to see, and ears to hear, and a voice to speak. Now, what are you talking about, this miracle of faith? Well, Paul's theme throughout 2 Corinthians 4 is that we walk not by sight, but by faith. Where do you get eyes to see the the eternal in the unseen. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 is an amazing verse in the scriptures. You ought to uh, take this into memory. Okay, does the first part of verse 6 remind you of anything? In context, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Okay. But unlike the unbelievers whose mind is blinded, believers' minds are enlightened. They are enlightened with an enlightenment. You have the gift of faith. By by grace you are saved through faith, and and it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, the miraculous gift of faith. Now let let me prove to you that it is a miracle of faith, uh, that that faith itself is a miracle. Look at verse 6. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. When did God say that? Let there be light. At creation, God spoke into existence everything that he is. It was, it was dark and it was without without it was void and it was without form. And God speaks into existence what? The universe. And gives it light so that we can see. The miracle of creation. But he's also speaking of the miracle of a new creation that takes place within the life of the believer. Paul says, God said, let there be light. Let light shine out of darkness. Look, he is the one. (laughs) Look at verse 6. He is the one who is what? Shown in our hearts to give us There it is, the gift. God shines in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So if you believe that Jesus is God, if you believe that He is the image of God, how did you come to see that? How did you come to hear that and know that? God spoke into your life a miracle of seeing and a miracle of hearing and a miracle of understanding in your heart of hearts. What a wonderful miracle is the miracle of faith. That's why in the Gospel of Mark, as we've gone through Mark on Wednesday nights, we've seen Jesus... Put his fingers in ears, okay, haven't we, Jeb? So that people can hear physically. And we've seen him rub eyes so that people can see physically. And we've seen him put saliva on a tongue so that people could speak truth. And what he was showing his followers and the church is that just as he performs that type of supernatural physically, he does that type of work spiritually in the life of those of us who see and know and hear and believe and speak the truth. It is a supernatural miracle of mercy that you and I believe just as it is a supernatural miracle of mercy that we exist in His creation and His world that has gone from darkness to light. So let's think about verse 6 a little bit more. Now someone pointed out to me one time that the Hebrews, the Jewish people, were really into light. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is they were into the religious life, the moral life. And light to them represented religious knowledge. And so one of the ways that they were separate and superior is that they were more religious than other cultures. They had the light. (laughs) Now the Greeks, they weren't so much into light as they were into knowledge. And the Greeks felt separate and superior by the knowledge that they had. They had special knowledge and special study. And so to them, the gospel was was foolishness to the Hebrews the gospel was a curse and to the Romans they were into glory where their superiority would be based on the glory culture a a super group, a materialistic powerful group So the Romans were a glory-based culture, the Greeks were a knowledge-based culture, and the Hebrews were a religious-based culture. But what does verse 6 tell us? That Christ transcends transcends and is superior to all of that because He is the light who is shown in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of God of Christ. So if you have the miracle of faith in Christ, these are the things of the glory of God you should see. So let's just think for a minute about what God has shown us in Christ. The light he's given us, the knowledge he's given us, and the glory we've seen as we look at Jesus by faith. It says, of Christ we beheld his glory, glory as of the Father. He was and is very God of very God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what do you learn about God from the birth of Christ? And the incarnation of Christ? What do we see that's glorious? Well, we'll have one night in Bethlehem soon. And we will emphasize the gentleness of of God, the condescending love of God, the humility of God, in the birth narrative. We could then see Christ in the wilderness to being, temptate, being tempted by Satan in the temptation of the wilderness and there you'll see the power of God and the glory of God and the purity of God in Christ. As Jesus teaches from the Sermon on the Mount and you listen with ears to hear, you will hear the love of God, the wisdom of God, the, the The practicality of God in His truth in in, in making a difference in our hearts and lives. At His transfiguration where the glory was was unveiled and revealed and the curtains pulled back, His disciples saw the brightness and the glory and the beauty and the transformation power of God. And in His perfect life, you see the righteousness of God, the purity of God, the goodness and kindness of God of God in the face of the life of Jesus Christ what about his miracles I pointed this out already you see in his miracles the power of God the help and the rescue of God and the transcending power of God over the physical and the material do you see God's glory in Gethsemane For there was love again, and power, and selflessness, and sacrifice, and patience, and perseverance, and strength. Look to the cross of Christ, and there you see His glory. The glory of His love, the glory of His mercy, His forgiveness, His humility. Look at the resurrection of Christ. What does that teach you about God? That His life, His glory, His dominion, His hope, His faithfulness, His eternal power. All of that is glorious. What about the ascension of Christ? You see, in that, the justice of God, and the hope and the providence of God. All I was trying to do is walk you through the face and the life of Christ and see how He reveals the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. If you see him, you see the Father. And if you see Jesus, and if you trust in him and believe him, you ought to say to yourself, what a wonderful gift God has graced me that I know who God is. And by knowing who he is, I know who I am. Therefore, I'm going to make two statements about my life. This is a miracle that God has done in my heart, and it leads me to two conclusions. But look again at verse 6. All of this is a miracle in the heart. Do you like that part as much as I do? He has shown in our hearts. (laughs) that This is not just a work that took place outside of us objectively in history, but it's something that he he does within us as well. That this is not just external, but it's also internal. The external reality has become an internal reality, and, and we have this miraculous divine work going on inside of us. Which is why in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, the disciples were slow of heart to believe. They just didn't grasp it, and they just didn't get it. So what Jesus did is he opened up the Old Testament, and he walked them through the Old Testament, and he preached himself from the Old Testament to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't know that it was the risen Jesus they were walking with. And after they broke bread and finally saw him as God granted to them the gift of faith, they they said to themselves, "Were, were not our hearts burning within us? While he opened the word to us about who he was, God was doing a work in their hearts. It's like John Wesley's conversion. As someone was reading the preface to, the gospel, is to to the Gospel, the Gospel of Romans, <laughs> he said his heart was strangely warmed as God gave him faith and conviction and the knowledge of Christ. So what I want to emphasize this morning, in closing, okay? I hesitate to say that, <laughs> but in closing, if you're a Christian this morning You're the recipient of two miraculous miracles. Many more than that, okay, but two that I pointed out today. The miracle of mercy and the miracle of faith. And those ought to create within us gratitude and joy and worship. But Paul says two things I want to point out. The first is, therefore, because I have these two miracles, I refuse to lose heart. You ought to refuse to lose heart. I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. I refuse to be discouraged. Now, you have to battle and fight that because every single day, we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. But here's what you tell him, and I've quoted this before, and I'm going to keep quoting, and I may quote it every Sunday for that matter. But when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, Upward I look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. And because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So when Satan tempts you to discouragement and despair, you look to Christ. And you say, in him... Is, is, is mercy great and greatest free? And let that encourage your heart. So you preach the gospel to yourself every day. Then the second thing, and this is something that I haven't emphasized, that we don't emphasize enough, and that's the other point that he makes in verse 2, and I kind of brushed over that. You ought to refuse to lose heart, but the second thing you ought to do is you ought to renounce something. You and I need to renounce The things that are hidden because they are shameful. You know what those things are. They're the things that you don't want other people to know about you. You've even hidden some of these things from yourself. Because you're afraid to confront your own sinfulness and your own depravity. So Paul says, look, not only do I refuse to lose heart, but I renounce. Look at what he says in verse 2. This is a message for me and for all of us. The things that are hidden because they are shameful. Look, we're not trying to be crafty. We don't want to adulterate the Word of God. What in the world does that mean? It means to cheat on the Word. And the book of Proverbs says that none of us can ever get away with adulterating. If you do not obey the Word, you are in debt to it. Proverbs says that. I have felt that and I believe it and I need to, pre- need to preach it because I want to be honest with you. If you do not obey the word, you will be in debt to it. Yes, it is finished. Yet, it, it is done. Yes, it is paid for. I'm not saying that, but I am saying if you're a child of God, we, I've never gotten away with disobeying his word, ever. Whether it's internal discipline, external discipline. Paul is just laying it out here for us. So we're not adulterating the word, we're not walking in craftiness, but we are renouncing, and that sounds kind of like the refusal to lose heart. Just as I refuse to give up, I also renounce in the same type of attitude and manner and strength the things that are hidden because of shame. But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight. What's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on here. And I don't mean it, Glenlock. That scares you to death. I'm talking about what was going on at car rent. <laughs> Some of you thought I was about to expose you or something. I don't know. It sounded scary to say it. What's going on here? <laughs> what was going on at car rent is that Paul had a messy life. I mean, Paul was a wreck. And, and, and nobody, you know, who wanted to follow Paul? I mean, he was bruised and battered and beaten. and He, you know, he didn't have every I dotted and every T crossed. Paul, Paul had issues. And Paul was open and honest about that because Paul wanted it not to be about Paul, but Paul wanted it to be about who? About Christ. That's why Paul didn't hide his afflictions. He didn't hide his infirmities. And throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, it's almost like he just puts up there on the screen for everybody to see all the things that he's gone through that were difficult and harsh. (laughs) The reason Paul does that is that Paul didn't want the glory for himself like the super apostles were, who were the competitors to the Corinthians, oh man, they looked like they were man, they were glorious and powerful and smart and intelligent, had all this charisma and personality. Paul says they're not real. They're crafty. They're hiding things. They're peddling the Word of God. They're adulterating the Word of God. So once you know the context, you get what he's saying in verse 2. And what he's basically saying to the Christians is, look, you don't have anything to lose. You can be transparent. And I'm not saying air all your dirty laundry, that's, that's not, also not helpful and can, and can be unhealthy. So let's not push this thing too far. But what I am saying is that it's not about us, it's about Christ. Therefore, we shouldn't be afraid to be real and transparent in just who we are. You know, God has to remind me of this occasionally. That we've got this treasure... <laughs> That we can be unveiled and let the treasure shine. Sometimes, i give you just a personal illustration of, of, of a way physically that God has taught me this. When he's taught me this emotionally and spiritually in many other ways, and I'm not going to share those things with you. But the other day, a lot of you know I like to run every now and then. I like to stay physically fit, you know. ha <laughs> And I've been picking up my running lately. Kind of gotten back into it. I even got an app on my phone. I got two apps on my phone that'll 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 track your runs and and tell you how fast you're going and how great you're doing. And man, one day I was going on nothing serious, nothing big. I was on a little two mile jog through Carrollton, you know. And I looked down at my time. Boy, I thought I was. Man, you're, and this, and then you start telling yourself stuff like this. Man, you're doing good. <laughs> And I made the turn, headed back to the square in Carrollton. I picked up my pace, and then I thought, "Man, you're doing real good." And I got up to the square in Carrollton. I topped a little hill, and there's all these restaurants on the square, and you know, people. I see people inside eating, and they're sitting there, and there's you know, they're smoking over here, you know. And I and I'm thinking to myself, "Boy, y'all, you sorry people. <laughs> Don't y'all wish y'all were running like me, you know?" Don't you wish you looked like me? Don't you wish you felt as good as I do? And I picked up my pace even more. more. And then I turned the corner and I literally tripped. (laughs) And did a complete flip. Landed on my back on the sidewalk there right outside a restaurant. There was a lady on her phone. I cracked cracked my, my phone screen that I had just had replaced. The earbuds came flying out, and, and I broke them in half. They're, they're completely torn. And I'm like, <laughs> after feeling so great about myself, I'm sprawled out on my back on the sidewalk. And this lady on the telephone looks down at me. She says, are you okay?
4: <laughs>
0: and I look up at her, and I said, I said, I am now. And I got up and hung my head, you know, did like this and walked over to and and eventually got far enough away where I, I hoped that no one could see me. You know, God has done that to me so many times in my life that just when you're beginning to feel independent and autonomous and superior and you got it all together and he lays you right flat on your back. So now when I come to that same spot, i walk. (laughs) In fact, Chuck, when I banged on the window yesterday, that's exactly the spot. Chuck knows what I'm talking about. That's an inside joke. Listen, all it takes for us to realize how dependent we are on his mercy, listen, it just takes one moment of humanity to expose us for what we really are. I could have told a lot more stories that were a lot more serious than that, but but I want you to do the work in your own heart. Listen, this this passage has told me three things as I've studied it the last two weeks. Number one, we have a ministry. Number two, we've received a miraculous gift of mercy. And then number three, we have the gift of faith. And that's enough for us to never lose heart, And to renounce the hiddenness of whatever shameful things we feel. Guilt says this. Guilt says, I have done things that are wrong. Shame goes beyond that and says that I am wrong. Shame is deeper than guilt. The cross of Christ sets us free from all of that because he took on all my guilt, all my shame, all my weaknesses, all my failures. And he nailed those to the tree in mockery of our enemy who is the great accuser and wants to keep you bound by those things. So it sets you free to be who God has created you to be and who has redeemed you to be. And and, and I know we are all growing and progressing in that, but you'll get there in time if you'll keep going back again and again to the gifts of the gospel. Let's pray. Father... Thank you for your grace and mercy, which it it exposes who we are, but in the process, boy, it sets us free because we have all sinned and fallen short of glory. We fall short of your glory. There's no glory that I could ever attain or, or merit or find or move to or whatever, Lord. You have it in yourself, and you grant it to us, by by a gracious gift of, 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 of who you are and what you've done, and we receive it by the gift of faith. Glory is something we receive. Thank you for giving us glory in Christ. And now as we sing our hymn of invitation, may each of us respond in our heart of hearts, in obedience and trust, and begin to see with greater clarity the eternal and not the temporal. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this morning, just as I am, without one play. You come as we sing. <music>
2: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for your kindness and mercy and love. Thank you for your word, Lord. You can't, you can't get around the word, Lord. It tells the truth who you are and who we are. And I need to, to hear it, Lord. I was just grateful for the message that I heard this morning. It's all because of your grace and kindness, Lord, that I can even... Can hear the word it's it's a miracle it's a a real miracle lord i just thank you for who you are lord i I pray over our, our offering this morning i just pray that you bless this church these things i ask in the name of jesus amen